If there is someone here today, you just heard that testimony, and you want to know, is that true? Can God really do that in my life? He's telling you this morning, yes, it's true. And I'm going to read a scripture out of 1 Corinthians. We've been studying 1 Corinthians on Wednesday nights. We didn't get a chance to do that this past Wednesday. So I'm going to share chapter 4 with you this morning. So this will be that part in the series. But what I want to do is tie in everything Paul has kind of talked up to, up to this point in chapter 4. And it really does center on the gospel and the message of the cross. And what happens when man, when the mind of man, when pride gets in the mix of the church and kind of thwarts and gets to focus up off of what is the most important thing. And Paul, the Apostle Paul spends four chapters dealing with this issue that has come into this Corinthian church, which was moving mightily in the gifts. They were blessed in the gifts and the spiritual gifts that God had bestowed upon them. But this thing had crept into the church and Paul is dealing with it. And it's going to kind of transition over into another issue in chapter 5. So chapter 4 is kind of the last chapter where he's dealing with what I want to talk to you about today. But I really do want to try to accomplish what Paul is trying to accomplish in these four chapters. Really talk about the gospel and the message of the cross and the power that is in that message that is real, that you just heard in that man's testimony that just shared. It is the power of God. It's the most powerful thing that transforms and changes a human life, a human heart, someone that was in darkness, someone that was bound by sin, someone that was lost forever, no hope for all of eternity. And God somehow takes that person that was hell bound, that was in darkness, and shines his light, the gospel, in that heart. And, and the, the mind, the heart open up, the eyes open up to the reality of who God is and what he did on the cross. And our condition, but yet what he did to remedy that condition. There's no greater power than God opening up a human heart and the understanding and revealing himself to them. That is the power of God. And this is what Paul is dealing with in this Corinthian church. So I, I just want to read that one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, The message of the cross is the power of God to us who are being saved. Verse 18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, it doesn't make sense to the natural reasoning mind. It, I guess you can say it this way. It's almost too simple. Because what you hear a lot of time, especially when we look at society, when we see the problem of mankind, problems, we, it, it seems as though this is a very complicated problem and and we need to really 
have a deeper understanding of what's going on in the mind and what has caused this person to get to this condition. But the Bible really lays it out very simply for us. We saw it yesterday at the Creation Museum. You go through the Creation Museum and you see God made everything and it was good and it was very good. But then something happened. Man rebelled against God. He saw. He desired. He took of the forbidden fruit with his wife Eve. And man fell out of relationship with God because he rebelled against the word of God. And sin entered the world. And as you walk through the museum, you see all the issues, war, drugs, Everything comes from that one act of rebellion. It's like a, a forest fire that starts with a little spark and then rages and takes over the whole forest. That's what's happened in our world. But yet the message of the cross is the power of God that solves that problem. And that testimony Brian just shared testified of that power. So that's what Paul's talking about. But the world hears that and it's foolish to say it doesn't make sense because they're blinded, just like you and I were. I remember when I was bound by drugs. I remember trying this, trying that. But it wasn't until the power of the message of the cross impacted my life that God broke those chains, that God set me free. And it's like Brian said, I'm not that man anymore. Paul said, such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been redeemed by God. You're a new creation in Christ. The world can't offer that. There's only one way that happens. It's through the message of the cross. And it really is all about Jesus. So Paul has spent three chapters up to this point dealing with an issue and the issue he was dealing with was basically the people making it about man or a man or a sect or a group and getting off the most important thing which was Jesus Christ and him crucified and the power and the message of the cross and so here now in in chapter 4 and l let me just I'm going to go back a little bit, okay? I'm just going to, I want to just touch on a couple of things that we see in these first few chapters. In chapter one, um, he begins, you know, he's basically reestablishing his apostleship. He's saying, listen, I was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it was through the will of God because there were people that had come in there. Um, and they were trying to usurp Paul's authority there. There was all kinds of things going on. And people had, you know, gotten into groups and parties. And they were following this one and following that one. And that's basically what was happening. They had lost focus of what the church was meant to be. And I believe the church today in many ways has lost its focus of what we are meant to be and what our mission is. And we've been broken up into many different sects and following this one and following that one instead of making it about Christ and him crucified. So that's what he's dealing with. He's called, he's called to be an apostle. 
uh, an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. It was a divine commission. God had called him to it. And so we see here in verse 13, he says to them, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? In other words, he's coming at these divisions that were rife and rampant in that church. And they were preferences for different ministers. They were saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. I'm of this one, I'm of that one. And he's basically trying to help them out. He's saying, is Christ divided? Was I crucified for you? Was Apollos crucified for you? And he's calling them to get their focus where it needed to be, on Christ. He's calling the church out of man-made religion, because that's what man-made religion is. It divides. It makes it about man. And God's calling his church out. He's calling us to get our eyes on Christ. He's saying, come out of all your divisions, all your disagreements, all your arguing, a lot of times about things that don't matter. We need to make it about Christ again. It's Christ that was crucified. It's the message of the cross that is the power of God. That's what we need to be focusing on. So he's calling his church out. And I've shared this. We see this polarization in our world today. Well, I'm a Republican. Well, I'm a Democrat. I'm this. I'm that. I'm a Calvinist. I'm an Arminianist. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm this. I'm that. It's in the world and it's in the church. And God is calling his true church out of all of that. Because there's a a dying and a perishing world all around us. There's people all around us that are still blind, that are still in change, that need the gospel. They need to know that Jesus Christ is real and that he has come. And they're going to know that by our love for one another. When we're one, not when we're divided. So God is calling us. He says, you are Christ. You're Christ. I understand we all come from different backgrounds. If God is leading, and and if we're looking to his word, and we're trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us, we won't be led astray into following man or a creed. We'll be following Christ. We need to be a people unified in the fear of God, in the love of God. Because it's him who sanctified us. It's him who redeemed us. It's him who was crucified for us. People who walk with him in intimacy. People he knows and who know him. People that are full of the Holy Spirit. People who bear witness to him and not the wisdom of this world or their methods, but in the power of God. Why? What was Paul's emphasis in chapter 2 there? 
when he says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words or with the wisdom of this world. I came to you in fear and in trembling. In demonstration of the spirit and the power that your faith wouldn't be in man. Wouldn't be in earthly things. Wouldn't be in earthly wisdom. But your, your faith would be in God. So Paul is pointing them. He's pointing us. It's about God. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's the one we should all be looking to. He's the one, he says at the end of the, the first chapter, we should be glorying in not man. We're all just called ones that were called from nothing and things that are not things foolish to the world. We're all the same. We're all at the same level before the cross. There's only one that deserves all the glory. You hear Paul's heart all in these chapters. It's about him. Glorify God. It's about what he's done for us. Let's glory in that. Let's be united in that. And then in chapter 3, he kind of chides them a little bit. And he says, brethren, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but to, as carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're not able, for you're still carnal where there's... Envy, strife, where there's divisions among you, are you not carnal and acting like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? So the fact that they're divided by following different human leaders, instead of following Christ demonstrated to Paul that they were yet carnal. Thinking as men, in other words, thinking in the natural reasoning mind. And he speaks in this chapter about the need for spiritual discernment because it's the spirit that reveals the deep things of God and the necessity of having the mind of the spirit. And this is important because You'll either be in the meekness that comes from above or the meekness of wisdom or the, I'm sorry, the wisdom from below or the wisdom from above. It talks about that in James chapter three. The wisdom from below is carnal. It's the natural reasoning mind. And where that is, it actually even says it's demonic. Because the spirit of this world is demonic. It's under the demonic influence of our enemy. And where that is, that's where division, that's where strife is. That's where envy is. That's where this party spirit comes from. That's why the world, it, that spirit's being stirred up. That's why it's so polarized. It's the devil. There's a scene, I hate using movies, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, in the Lord of the Rings, where they're gathering the the group that's going to go defeat, you know, this evil Lord, Sauron. And the ring is in the middle. And they're trying to get united. 
and they try to destroy, one of them tries, tries to destroy the ring with human methods, and you see the ring glowing, and all of a sudden they all start fighting. And to me, it was such a picture of the enemy and how he loves to sow discord and to get us in fighting because he knows the power when we're unified. And that's what's happening now. So what do we need? We need humility. We need to meet the wisdom from above that's willing to yield, that's peaceable, that's gentle, that's full of mercy and good fruits. That only comes through humility. That only comes when we get our eyes back on Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why Paul said, I'm determined not to know anything except that among you. Because that's going to keep us all in our right frame of mind. That's all going to keep us all down when we need to, where we realize we're nothing. He's everything. We have nothing to glory in but him. And then we'll learn to see the people he uses in the proper perspective. And that's kind of where Paul is going here in chapter 4. So let's look here at chapter 4, okay? Verse 1. Let a man so consider us. So he's talking about the people you're following, that your teachers, whatever sect you're, you're in, or whoever you've made your leader, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, just stewards of the mysteries of God. So whoever it is, whoever we are, whatever God has called any of us to do, we're just servants. We are just stewards of what God has given to us to share. We're really stewards of the mercy he's given to us. That's the picture you get in Matthew 25 with the talents. You know, God gives some five, some two, some one, and he expects us to do something. We're stewards of the mercy he's given to us. And that's all we'll ever be. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul's trying to deliver the Corinthians of their tendency to glory in men or maybe a ministry, whatever it is, whatever we're looking to other than Jesus, because that's what causes division. That's what splinters the unity amongst his people. That's what hinders the gospel from going forth in power. So he's trying to deliver them. Now, all teachers have their use. And there's a right view Paul is trying to help them to have. He's, first of all, they're just servants. We're just servants, and we're stewards of the mysteries of God. What do we learn here? That God's ministers, God's servants, those he has called, are subservient or subordinate to Christ. We are accountable to Christ. We are accountable with what God has given to us. We are his servants. And no minister, no servant should make himself 
a master or someone of importance that causes people to look to them. I mean, what do you hear in Paul? What do you see in Paul? He's like, get your eyes. It's not about me. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. It's Jesus. It's Christ. And as a church, we should be glorying in him. We should always be making it about him because that's what people need. And we need to see that office is honorable and that we are a steward of it. Christians should endeavor to learn and cherish different gifts, different teachers of ministers, to give them their honor, not to overrate their importance. Now, <laughs> we broke up into two groups yesterday when we took the kids to the Creation Museum. I warned them. I said, you don't want to put me in charge of kids. Because as our group's going through, I'm telling the kids, you see that? Yeah, what's that? It's a snake. Right, that's the devil. So you don't listen to him, okay? Okay, this is God's word. So you need to listen to God's word. What happens when you don't listen to God's word? You die, you perish, right? So listen to God. Oh, okay, okay. It's kind of how it went with us. Then we get together and Troy's comes into the picture and Troy is like, hey kids, come on. And he sits on the ground and the kids are drawn to him like magnets. And he's kind of saying the same thing I am, but he's got a gift. He's like the Pied Piper. And the kids are just mesmerized. And I'm like, okay, that's his gift. Praise God. And I'm rejoicing watching him. God uses everyone differently. And we should rejoice in that. We need that in the body. We need diversity. There's diversity of gifts. God uses us differently. And we should take all the different aspects God has supplied for us and let God minister to us through them. Because we need it all. Our problem is when we get in our minds, it's got to be this way. Or that's the only kind I'll listen to. I've done that myself. God could speak to you any way he wants to, and he uses different people that he has called to do it. The main thing is that they be faithful and that they understand they're accountable to God, not to man. He says in verse 3, um, with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. In other words, we're all going to answer to God. This is so important for us to remember. And as stewards, we should be faithful because we know we're going to answer to God one day. That's the picture we see in Matthew 25, right? When our time is up, he's going to come for an accounting. What would you do with what I gave you? Who cares what this person thinks or that person thinks? I have to live my life before God. I got to answer to him. And you've all, we've all been given talents. And so we need to live our lives before the Lord. We need to serve the Lord, um, not people. It's very important because if you do, you'll compromise. And that's what's happening here. Because these other teachers, or maybe that have crept in, they were drawing people unto themselves. 
And they'll answer for that. And Paul is basically saying, I don't even judge myself. He says, verse 4, I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. He who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before it's time, until the Lord comes who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. That's what I want to hear. All I'm looking for in the end is well done, thou faithful servant. My good and faithful servant. All of us should be looking for that in the end. That's, that's my heart's cry, Lord, that I, I want to serve you in a way that, that, that that's what you say to me when I see you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Why? First and foremost, because I love him. I'm grateful. Because the message of the cross, the power of God, changed my life. He did for me what no one else could do. And I'm grateful. And I want my life to glorify him. I want my life to speak of his goodness and his mercy and, and what he can do. Not just for me, but for whoever. I don't want to ever get the attention or focus on me. I always want to glorify him. But I also fear him. I also fear him. It's a scary thing for me to know I'm going to stand before him. And he knows everything. He sees everything and knows everything. He's going to judge my inner thoughts, my motives, everything. So where should my focus be? On him. Doesn't matter what people think. People's judgments are always imperfect. God's judgments are always right. So that's more important. So he goes on now in verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of or against the other. In other words, all teachers are but men. And we should not glory in man. We should only glory in God, that none of you would be puffed up. This is so important, that none of you would be puffed up. He goes on in verse 7, who, who makes you differ from, from another? What, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? I'll just sum that all up in what, one sentence. Whatever you have is from God. Don't forget that. Whatever you have, it's all from God. You wouldn't have anything if God didn't give it to you. That's why all of our glorying should be in God. Every blessing we possess, it's a gift from God that we should just bow down and say, Lord, thank you. I didn't deserve this, but thank you. Thank you for your gift. And again, the, the Corinthian church was exceedingly gifted. They were. God moved powerfully in that church. That's what we're believing for, right? But we got to guard ourselves from this. 
Oh, we're the ones. Oh, we're better. Whatever. We're all prone to it. But it was all grace. But because of their giftedness, because God was using them, there was a proud spirit that had developed in that body. Parties were formed who gloried in men that other men might glory in them. So now Paul nicely rebukes them. And he does it in a way um, that really hopefully made them think about (laughs) the reality of what Paul, what true ministers go through for their sheep. Because Paul had founded this church and that's kind of what he's getting at. We'll see that in the next verses after what I read. I'm going to read a whole portion here. But he contrasts themselves, Paul, and Apollos to them. And he says this. You're already full. You're already rich. You've reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle of the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. Pride does that. Oh, we know. We have the true wisdom of God. And it's head knowledge. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we're dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. And now just you hear the fatherly heart of Paul. I don't write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you. And he says it now, verse 15. So you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ. In other words, you can find myriads of teachers, and especially nowadays, you can find that many on YouTube. But you don't have many fathers. In other words, people that truly pray for you, that bear you through the middle of the night, that are always there for you, um, that are willing to come alongside and roll up the sleeves and get in the thick and thin of it, with you, you don't have many like that. And obviously, Paul's talking of himself here. You don't have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Not many fathers, not many spiritual fathers, but you have one. And you should remember, as however many teachers you have, I alone am your spiritual father. So Paul's just reminding them how God used him in their life. I mean, he used Paul to birth this church. Paul paid a price 
He shares a little here, but there was a price. There's a price that's paid that a lot of people don't understand. There's a huge price that's paid to birth people into the kingdom of God. It costs you everything. And God's been challenging us, hasn't he, as a body, right? We're believing God for that, but we understand there's a cost to that. There's a cost that comes with sharing the gospel in the way we're supposed to share it. There's a denying of ourselves. There's a forsaking of our lives in this world. We can't be like everyone else, right? If we truly want to see the power of God manifested in our lives, through our ministry, to the lost, to the hurting, to the poor. And Paul is reminding them of that cost. Not many fathers. I've begotten you through the gospel. Then he says in verse 16, therefore I urge you, imitate me. In other words, follow my example. This is what it looks like to really pay the price and to lay your life down for people so that they too can have the gospel, so that they too can know the power of the message of the cross. Be followers of me in spirit. And a lot of it is what he's already shared with them. In other words, Paul was no partisan, was he? Other teachers amongst them became leaders of parties. These parties were contending with one another. Paul belonged to no party. party. He followed Christ. He knew nothing amongst men except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said that. He said, that is my aim with you. I'm going to keep it about that. Follow my example. You do the same thing. Let's keep it about Christ. Let's keep it about the gospel. Because we know, we understand, it's our testimony. That's what changed us. That's what broke the power of sin. That's what brought us from darkness into light. That's what broke the change in our life, right? It was the gospel. It was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's keep it about that. Let's major on that. Let's, let's seek to, to walk and live a life so that we don't do it in human strength and human wisdom, but in the power of God. So people are drawn to Christ. So their faith is in God and not in man. Imitate me, I urge you. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly the message of the whole Bible. From beginning to end. It's about the gospel. The minute man falls in the garden, it's about the gospel. The end of the book of Revelation, it's about the consummation of the gospel. And everything God did. Through our glorious salvation. It's about the gospel. And then he says in verse 17... For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach everywhere in every church, now now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. People can have I guess you could say big words, but the proof is in the pudding. You know that saying, right? Because the kingdom of God is in power. It's not in word. 
And that's what God is calling us to walk in, his power. Not just in word only, but in the power of God. Why? So people's faith will be in God and not in man. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And then in verse 31, he says, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in a spirit of gentleness? In other words, should I come with you of looks of love? Or should I come with you in the severity of Sinai, like the quaking mountain before God? Which shows us ministers need wisdom. Sometimes he comes in gentleness, in love. Other times he comes with a rod. He comes in the smoke and the fire of Mount Sinai. And you need discernment for that. Him we preach, Colossians 1.28 says, Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So I'll finish with this. There's a gospel to be preached, people. Amid all the diversities of our doctrines, all the ritual that we see in the church, only Jesus can save people. Only the message of the cross is the power of God. We need to start majoring on that. The Lord is looking for men and women whom he could work through whom he could demonstrate his divine mercy through. We don't want to be part of that spirit, whether a religious spirit, whether a worldly spirit, that causes division. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We all are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we understand there are those that are false, that are not orthodox, that are not following the Bible, that maybe have gotten into false teachings, that's different. I'm talking about the things that we let divide us that have nothing to do with orthodox Christianity. The things we major on that are truly minor issues. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, even with our differences. The problem is when we allow ourselves to be an agent of division, making statements that place ourselves above everyone else who don't see things our way. And we can all do that, and we have to guard ourselves from that. We should just present truth in love. It's up to the person what they do with that. But we need to be very, very careful with our words. And I have failed in this. I'm sure we've all failed in this. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us. We need a lot of humility to walk this line of standing for what we know is true, for what we understand God has promised us, for what we understand God wants to do and can do through his church. We need to be bold about that, but careful that we don't make it about a man or a place or a thing 
or a doctrine, but we keep it about Christ and the gospel. We have to approach Scripture in humility. Want what God wants. Allow Him to reveal truth to our inner man. We need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. He will guide us into truth. I don't know about you, but whatever's in Scripture, I want it. I want everything God has for me. I want all the resources of heaven to proclaim the gospel that God has given to his church. And it's all there for us. If the early church operated in a certain way according to scripture and what we see in history, that's what I want. That's what we want. It's not about what anyone else thinks it should be. It's what God has spoken to us. So let's strive together for the gospel. Let's strive together in humility. Let's glorify God in everything we do. Let's point people to Christ and him crucified. And I'll end with our vision scripture in Luke 4, because this is what it's all about. And we're going to pray and we're going to worship some more this morning. Um, But I want to make an appeal this morning. But this really is the gospel right here. Luke 4, 18. This is the anointing God has called us to walk in. And I'll make it about us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Because he has anointed us to preach the gospel, to make it about the gospel to the poor. He is sending us to the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Lord, I pray you would help all of us to keep it about Christ. Lord, I pray you would draw our attention, our focus, to you and you alone. I pray you'd get our eyes off of man, off of denominations, off of this, off of that. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to make it all about you, Lord. We want you to be glorified. We want all of our glorying to be in you, Lord. So I, God, I pray as a church, as a people, as your body, You'd help us to walk in humility. You'd help us to learn what Paul was trying to teach this church at Corinth that was so gifted, moved so powerfully in the spirit, yet had allowed this spirit to come in where they were making about a man or a teacher or this or that or their dislikes and likes. God, I pray you would root that out of your church. Worldwide, Lord, you have one church. You have one body, Lord. Help us to get our eyes on you, Lord. Help us to let the head rule and reign so that the body can function and proclaim the gospel and glorify you in the earth the way you're wanting to be glorified, Lord. So God, we yield ourselves to you. We ask you through the power of the Holy Spirit to help us, Lord, to proclaim the gospel in power. 
so that men would be drawn to you and not to us, Lord. That's what I heard in Brian's testimony. I heard a great God. I heard a merciful God. I heard Christ and him crucified. I heard the power of God in the message, of course, that worked in someone's life. Let that be our testimony as we go out of this building, as we interact this week with people, Lord. Help us to just make all our conversation about that and to glorify you to people around us, Lord, who need the gospel, who need their eyes open to the wonder of the gospel. So God, have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What I want to do before we worship why don't we pray i got a a text last night from the guy in prison he has texting in prison and god's working in his heart and i can't tell you the situation but 